I'd like to answer the question, does God allow for divorce? Does God allow for divorce? There's no debating the fact that divorce is a part of life. And divorce is a part of many lives here today. And it's an issue that the church should and needs to deal with. And a few weeks ago, I spoke on this portion of Scripture, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12, and I was unable to deal with verse 9. And so tonight, I'm going to deal with the issue of divorce and what God says about it. Now, with that, I want to preface my remarks that I am not here with a judgmental attitude. I'm not here casting stones. I am just trying to teach what the Bible has to say. You cannot change your past. You can't. But you don't have to continue to repeat it. Okay? And there's also young people here that have never been married that need to know what the Bible says about divorce. We also need to know what the Bible says about divorce and where our church stands on the issue of divorce. So does God allow for divorce? But before answering that question, I think that we need to ask another question. And that question is, what was God's original intent for marriage? I think that we're jumping too quickly to the first question if we don't ask this second question and understand what was God's original intent. And so this evening, I'm going to be asking you to turn to quite a few different passages, and I want you to follow along, whether you're going to turn to it or whether it's on your iPhone or iPad, you're going to flip to it, but I, I want you to see what the Word of God has to say. So I'd like you to turn back to Genesis chapter 1, if you would, please. Does God allow for divorce? What was God, but what was God's original intent? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. The Bible says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In the Hebrew, that word woman is pronounced woe man. Okay, I'm glad some of you got that. Because when he woke up and saw her... He was like, whoa, man, <laughs> because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So what was God's original intent for marriage? Well, we see that there were no, there were no extras created. There were no substitutes. So if I didn't get along with this one, I could marry that one. So God's original intent was one man, one woman, for one lifetime. And I believe that we can see the sanctity of marriage throughout Scripture. 
I believe we see marriage illustrated in God's relationship to Israel. Israel's called, God, Israel's called God's wife, and God has called her husband. Marriage is illustrated in the relationship of Christ to the church. In God's perfect plan, it has always been, his ideal has been one man, one woman, for one lifetime. But because of the fall, marriage has been corrupted. I want you to turn to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, but God's ideal has not changed. Listen, because of the fall, marriage has been corrupted, but God's ideal has not changed. His perfect plan has not changed. Take a look at Malachi chapter 2. And did not he make one, yet he had the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. Let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Long after the fall in Genesis, Malachi now writes. You know what Malachi basically said? We can sum it up this way. God hates divorce. That's what he's saying. Don't deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For the Lord God of Israel said that he hateth putting away. That word putting away, it means to divorce. So he's saying God hates divorce. So I want to establish right off the bat that God's plan, his ideal, and his attitude towards divorce, his plan has been one man, one woman for one lifetime, and that God hates divorce. But I want to be quick to say, God doesn't hate those who have been divorced. You say, well, why does God hate divorce? Because it destroys the perfect design of God for marriage. And we've got to realize this evening the reality that we live in a, f a fallen world and that divorce is a reality. But because God values the marriage covenant so much, there was never any grounds for divorce in the Old Testament. Do you realize that? There was never any grounds for divorce in the Old Testament. I, I'm wanting to establish God's ideal, God's plan, God, the whole sanctity of marriage, and therefore you can go throughout all the Old Testament and you cannot find one instance for God saying that this is a grounds for divorce. Some might say, well, what about adultery in the Old Testament, Pastor? Wait a second. You've forgotten about adultery in the Old Testament. I turn over to Leviticus chapter 20. Originally, adultery was not grounds for divorce. Adultery in the Old Testament was not grounds for divorce. Take a look at Leviticus chapter 20. And I want you to look at verse... 10. 
And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and adulteress shall surely be put to death. See, adultery was not the grounds for divorce in the Old Testament because death was the penalty for divorce in the Old Testament. So there was no grounds of divorce in the Old Testament. But I want you to remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just as God upholds his law and he's a righteous God, God is also a merciful God. And God knew that his people were not going to carry out his law. He knew that. But that didn't change his ideal. That didn't change his plan. But God knew that his people were not going to carry out his law. And God, being a God of mercy, did not always execute the adulterer or the adulteress. You say, can you prove that from Scripture? Yes. Matter of fact, if I mention the word or the name, David and, you're either going to think of one of two things, right? Bathsheba or Goliath, right? But in the case of adultery, what are we thinking about? We're thinking about David and Bathsheba. A matter of fact, David was more than one time an adulterer. He had many wives. It was totally against Scripture. God didn't kill David. Matter of fact, there's, there's another very prolific adulterer. Matter of fact, it was his own son, Solomon. How many times did he commit adultery, Pastor? Who knows? You can't count that many times. But according to law, those people should have what? Die. There was no grounds for divorce in the Old Testament. There was only death. God never wanted divorce. Death was the penalty of divorce, but God, because he was a merciful God, did not always enact the penalty. Now I want you to turn over to Ezra. We're establish- we've established some things here. We established that God's intended design is permanency in marriage. God's ideal was for marriage always to be permanent. We've established that God hates divorce. We established that there was no grounds for divorce in the Old Testament, not even for adultery, because adultery ended in death. We've established that God did not always execute the adulterer or adulteress. Now, in Ezra, here's a very key passage. I had you turn just a few moments ago to Malachi. And you need to know that Malachi prophesied during the time of Ezra. And Malachi's theme, the theme of the book of Malachi, one of them, uh, the, the, uh, maybe not the overarching theme, but it, at least it's a theme that runs throughout the book of Malachi, is that the people needed to be reminded of their covenant relationship with God. 
that they had been placed in a covenant relationship. And my friends, there is no greater covenant relationship out of the covenant, outside of the covenant relationship of salvation. We're in this relationship of salvation greater than marriage, right? Now remember, as we look into Ezra, I want you to turn to Ezra chapter 9, that Malachi was prophesying. Malachi was prophesying during Ezra's time saying, God hates divorce. Remember that. Now take a look at Ezra chapter 9 and verse 2. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers hath been chief in this trespass. What had happened was that the, the people, the Jewish people, had married Gentiles and had polluted the pure line. Side note here, just something to, there are those who will preach, and it's wrong. The book of Ezra is basically teaching that you can only marry within your ethnic background. That's not what Ezra is teaching. It had nothing to do with one's color of skin. It had nothing to do with one's ethnic background. But it had everything to do with keeping the pure religious line of Israel correct. But men have a great way of taking things out of context to be able to help promote a social position which is not biblical. Enough said. We'll deal with that another time. Ezra chapter 9 and verse 10. And now, our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by thy servants, the prophets, saying, The land unto which ye go to possess, it is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land, and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. Now go to chapter 10 and verse 2. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put, look at this, to put away all the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Arise. For this matter belongeth unto thee. We will also be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. Then arose Ezra and made the chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel to swear that they should do according to this word. And they swear. Okay, you say, all right, Pastor, well, what's happening? The people of Israel had married unbelievers and were corrupting the pure religious line of the Jew. 
Now remember, Malachi is saying God hates divorce in Malachi. Prophesying the exact same time that Ezra is alive and this is going on. You know what God says? God says, divorce your wives. <laughs> what? And to put away all the wives, and as such are born of them. Wow. God's telling these men through Shechaniah to put away your wives and children. Divorce your wife. I don't know about you, but now I've got a question. Why? Why? For what cause? What's the reason? Here it is. Though God hates divorce, he is saying you are to divorce your wife because of spiritual, listen, spiritual adultery. They did not keep their religion pure. The pure line of the Jews was in jeopardy. Think about it. <clears throat> God could have, according to the law, what, what was the ultimate penalty for adultery? It was death. God could have had all these people killed according to the law because adultery equaled death. And in order for them to keep their religion or their, their line pure, God allowed for divorce. And instead of killing these people, God was merciful. Listen, God was merciful in calling for divorce instead of death. See, divorce was mercy. Death was justice. Now remember, what was the cause for divorce? Spiritual Adultery. Now, I want to give you a side note here. Ezra is not establishing a Christian norm. This is, Ezra is not saying, well, this is the way you live a normal Christian life. For some of you who might be married to unbelievers, you cannot say, well, I'm divorcing them because they're not a believer. Well, why not? Take a look at 1 Corinthians. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So Ezra is not establishing a norm, but it's giving us an illustration to help us understand Matthew 19.9. It's showing us how God views divorce. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 7, 13 through 14. And the woman which hath a husband, that believeth not. And if he be pleased to dwell with her, and if he's willing to stick it out with her, if he's willing to stay with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. God's saying... You don't have a right. If your mate who's unsaved, husband or wife, you're saved, they're unsaved, you don't have a right to divorce them because they're not saved. Matter of fact, they're going to be blessed 
by them staying with you because as God blesses you, those blessings are going to overflow. That's the idea here. And it's going to touch them as well. And any unbelieving kids that you have. What I also find out interesting about Ezra is the only time, it is the only time in the Old Testament that God tells someone to get divorced. And why was that? What was the reason? Because of spiritual adultery. I want you to think about something. Does God ever do unrighteousness? Does God ever do unrighteousness? Does God ever do evil? Does God ever do sinful? Or how about even marginal or questionable things? No. God never does anything that's unrighteous. He never does anything that's evil. He never does anything that's sinful. He never does anything that's marginal or questionable. Now I want you to turn over to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. God speaking here to Israel. During this time, the nation of Israel had split in two. The northern kingdom had ten tribes. The southern kingdom, Judah. Israel was known as the ten tribes. That, when you see Israel, it's the ten tribes. The southern tribes, Judah, were two tribes. Make up a total of twelve tribes. And take a look here in Jeremiah chapter 3. And I said after, verse 7, Jeremiah 3, 7, And I said, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister, Judah, feared not, but went and played the harlot also. This is a very powerful passage in understanding and helping us understand divorce. God says that he gave to the northern ten tribes, it says here, a bill of divorcement. God, who is the husband of Israel, divorces Israel. The second time we've seen this. Malachi said God hates divorce. God's original intent and God's original plan has always been for permanency in marriage. One man, one woman for one lifetime. And then God, who is the husband, divorces Israel. What was the reason? Here it is. I'm not going to, we can't go, we just don't have time. But if you read, you will find that it was for continual, unrepentant idolatry. It was for continual, unrepentant idolatry. And guess what idolatry represents in the Word of God? Spiritual adultery. Isn't that interesting? Because in Ezra, God, God said through Sennacherib, 
uh, to be able to, uh, Shechaniah, I'm sorry, to be able to divorce them. Why? Because of spiritual adultery. And then God says to the nation of Israel, I've wanted you to return. I've asked you to return. But now because of spiritual adultery, I am divorcing you. See, what we need to know, the other factor that we need to know about this divorce that God had made with Israel, here you go, that the divorce didn't take place until after 700 years of God pleading with Israel to come back. Does God allow for divorce? And we are building the case from the Old Testament, looking at specific scriptures in the Old Testament to see what God says about divorce, to see what his original plan was, to see the reason for divorce, and then to see how patient God was. 700 years of pleading with Israel to come back to him. That's patience, my friend. See, the point is, there is no reason to divorce your mate if there is repentance. There is no reason, no reason, none whatsoever to divorce one's mate if there is repentance. Divorce is permitted for the case of adultery, but only after extended patience. That's God's standard. See, divorce can take place for unrepentant, unrepentant, continual adultery. But with that, there's to be extreme patience on the mate who has been sinned against to give every opportunity for repentance. Can you back this up with other Old Testament scriptures? I can back it up with a whole book of the Bible. It's called Hosea. All that you have to do is read the book of Hosea, and you can see where Hosea patiently wooed his wife back again and again and again, not only for the sin of adultery, but she was involved in prostitution. She was selling herself. And what did God say to Hosea? Take her back. Take her back. Take her back. Take her back. Divorce can take place for unrepentant, continual adultery. Now back to our text, Matthew chapter 19. While you're turning back to Matthew chapter 19, isn't it interesting to think about the birth of our Lord? You're like, what? Where did that come from? Well, think about it. What happened with Mary and Joseph? Joseph had every opportunity, the Bible says, to put away his wife because he thought that she had been in an adulterous 
relationship. And what did the angel of the Lord say to Joseph? He said, don't put her away. Fear not to take Mary, for she has been given child by the Holy Ghost. See, the point is that God's original ideal and plan is one man and one woman for one lifetime. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9. Jesus speaking, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife. Now, now listen, because too many times we, we get messed up on this verse. Because we start talking about, oh, well, you must understand this, this is talking about fornication here. It's not talking about adultery. And in, and in the Old Testament, the Jewish way of marriage, what they would do is they would go and they would, uh, they would have this betrothal period. And then what would happen is the, the husband would go off for about a year or so and build onto his father's house and then, or however long. And then when he was ready, he would come back and take his bride. And that's very true. But we need to look at the context here. See, the only thing that they did not do was just consummate the marriage in a physical union. They were legally married. They were just as legally married as anyone in here is today. They just did not come together physically. Whosoever shall put away his wife. He's saying wife there. He didn't say fiance, right? I mean, I am reading that correctly, right? Except it be for fornication. Now, see, most people, what we do is we translate and we say, well, see, fornication, that's between two single people. It didn't say adultery there. Fornication is the word, it, it comes from the word pornea. It's one of the words where we get our word for pornography. And it's the overarching word for sexual sin, for immorality. It's the overarching word. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another. Now, wait a second. If they were just engaged, why would he say, and marry another? Committeth adultery. So now he goes from the overarching type of sin, and he's saying, he's saying from the second, he's getting more specific, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. See, Jesus was not talking about single people here getting involved in immorality. Jesus is talking about married people here. So Jesus is saying, except it be for sexual immorality or adultery, we would say. See, divorce is a merciful concession of God. To the adulterer. Why? Because God's plan is still his plan. God would have a right to kill every adulterer. But divorce is a merciful concession to the adulterer, the, the adulterer, and it's also a merciful concession to the innocent party of not having to stay in that type of ongoing relationship where there's unrepentant adultery. 
See, God, who, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, states that the only cause for divorce in Scripture has to do with unrepentant, unconfessed, continual or habitual adultery. You know, it would be very easy for us this evening, for those of us who have not committed the physical act of adultery, to look down on those who have. But I want to go back to something about the Old Testament. Though you may not have committed the physical act of adultery, hey, friend, are you committing the spiritual act of adultery. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? I mean, is there anything in your life that has greater place than God? Because anything that has a greater place in your life than God, that is idolatry and idolatry is equal to spiritual adultery. Amen. Maybe this evening we need to evaluate our own lives and maybe confess the sin of spiritual adultery. Maybe there's something that's taken the place of God. It's not that you don't love God. But it's not that he's priority. You say, Pastor, so does God allow for divorce? Yes. Under which circumstances, Pastor? Not because your husband doesn't put the toilet seat down. Not because she burns dinner three times a week. Not because I've just fallen out of love. Not because he doesn't think about my needs. There is one clause, exception, in the Word of God. For unconfessed, unrepentant adultery. But the goal is always to try and salvage. Always give room for repentance. You say, Pastor, why? I've gotten divorced for another reason. Does God still love me? Yes, He does. And I'm not casting stones. I'm not. I'm not. You know what? Though you may have committed that sin in the past, that does not negate you from serving God with all your heart, being a part of the ministry here, being involved. Like I said in the beginning, you can't change the past, but you don't have to repeat it. God can still use you. And I also, I also want to get across 
And so many times it, it, it almost comes across as if people who have been divorced are second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. I think we established that that's not true this morning. You say, Pastor, why do you tell us this? Well, number one, I don't want you to make the same mistake that you might have made in the past. Number two, because our young people, they need to know God's standard. And if I don't tell them, who's going to? Because the world's going to tell them everything else. They're going to tell them, well, if he doesn't do this or she doesn't do that or they don't act this way or they don't dress this way, they don't look this way, they... then because you're not happy any longer, you, you just you need to get out. That's not what God says. And God has taken the Old Testament and he's used those examples in Ezra and in Jeremiah to show us except for the cause of fornication. And I think that it's important for us as a church, thirdly, to know what God's standard is. So that that way, we can help others who may be struggling or contemplating divorce. Why? Because it's a real thing. And we want to be able to help brothers and sisters in the church. We want to be able to encourage them. We, we want to be able to support them. We, we want to be able to care for them and be able to show them what the Word of God says and walk through a very difficult time with them to be able to help them see what the Word of God has to say. To be honest with you, it would have been very easy for me to just skip this portion of Scripture and to just brush over it. But just because a passage of Scripture may be a little bit more difficult does not mean that we as a church should not do our best to understand what God's Word has to say. So this evening, as I said, you may not be divorced and you may not have committed the sin of physical adultery. But are you a spiritual adulterer? I am. I've been. There's been things in my life at one time or another that have been more important to me than God. And I dare say that everybody underneath the sound of my voice at one time or another has committed spiritual adultery. Because we wanted our peace, we wanted our comfort, we wanted our joy, we wanted something, we wanted security more than we actually wanted God himself. And so maybe we need to evaluate our own lives and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to Stay true to the, the, the covenant relationship that I have with you. That I would keep you number one in my life. That you would be the thing that I live for, the person that I live for above everything else.
May God help us all not to be spiritual adulterers.